Coming up on Long Riders Radio, we'll talk with Pat Harris, who rode his F800 GS all the way around the world. We'll talk to him about the trip and how to fix your motorcycle with common office supplies. Long Riders, welcome to episode 23 of Long Riders Radio. Uh, Justin here. Hope everyone's doing well. Um, this should be hopefully the third podcast in as many weeks in your podcast catcher. I've been here slaving over a hot microphone for you. Um, this week we have, uh, like I said in the intro, Pat Harris. Uh, Pat was a guy I found on Reddit. And for those of you who don't know what Reddit is, if you ever have too much time in your life, and need to find a way to waste it, Reddit would be a good way of doing it. Um, Reddit is... I, actually, I will point you to a video that a guy named CGP Gray did on YouTube that has a really good explanation. And incidentally, watching CGP Gray's videos is another good way to waste time on the internet. But anyway, Reddit is basically a... Um, it's a social media site where people essentially post links to different pictures or websites or things like that and then people up and down vote them and uh, pat had posted his um in a in a a subreddit that's called ama which stands for ask me anything and so basically someone goes in there and says my name's x i did y ask me anything about it so pat was I rode my motorcycle around the world. And so I sent him a message on there, asked him if he would like to come on the podcast. And lo and behold, he was very excited to do so. So uh, we've got a pretty good interview with him coming up here and uh, hope you'll enjoy it. So here's Pat. All right. On Skype tonight, we have Pat Harris. Pat is someone I uh, I saw on Reddit who was talking about a trip he took around the world. Basically, he left, left his house in Denver, actually sold his house in Denver and uh Started traveling east and ended up getting ba- back to, to Denver uh, after quite a while. Um, Pat, welcome to Long Riders Radio. Thanks, Justin. It's good to be here. You want to start off by telling people a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so I guess motorcycle-wise, I, uh, I started riding, um, I guess it was a little over 10 years ago. Uh, I was in my early 20s, kind of towards the end of college, um, that I started riding. And... Uh, it's probably about four or five years in, I, uh, took about a three month trip, um, it was through the U S and Canada. Uh, I was on a Kawasaki Z 1000 at that time. Um, <clears throat> so I rode around for about three months and I was probably two or three days in and decided I really liked it. And at some point, I was going to have to go on a bigger trip. I had to leave the U.S. and Canada, go somewhere um, a lot more foreign feeling, um, and go for a long time. I mean, three months is already pretty long, I guess, but um, something I was really, really committed to time-wise and distance-wise. And so I got back from that three-month trip. It would have been the end of 2007, and uh, went back to work, worked for a uh, seven years, I guess, and uh, was just always saving money, knowing that this trip was coming up, but never really had a definite date, no route. I, I wasn't actually really planning anything. I just knew I wanted to do it. So 
money was saved up for a while, and in February 2013, I took a trip to Thailand with a buddy of mine, just two-week vacation, um, nothing with motorcycles or anything. And the day I got back, I was just dreading going back to work and decided this was the time to do it. Basically, within the next week or so, I was thinking about my options and decided this was the best one to go on this big trip. And so I have started planning it in, I guess, like April of March, April of 2013 and left in July. So as far as specific planning, I didn't really do a ton. And I was also planning to be gone about 10 months or so, 10, 11 months maybe. And about eight months in, I realized that wasn't going to happen. So it was, I think, 20 months or so that I was gone in the long run and just got back on April 1st. So a few weeks ago, I guess. And yeah, that's about it All as right. far as the, the rough details of my motorcycling and traveling. So. Okay, so let's let's start out back at the beginning there. So when you, when you when you did your planning, did you have I mean it's, it doesn't sound like you had a real strict schedule you wanted to keep. You just did you just have like a general idea of where you wanted to go or or did you plan out like I'm going to plan out 6 months in the future and then see where I go or how how'd you do that? Yeah, I, I planned, um, I, I guess it went through some iterations right from the get-go. Um, I, I basically knew I would start by getting my bike to somewhere in the UK. Um, and I kind of looked at what my options were from there uh, weather-wise. So I had a few months basically to get far enough south to be out of winter. Um, and looked at a few different options, had to eliminate some route possibilities early on just because of border crossings that might not exist or countries that have issues getting into, um, especially with the bike. That was really the thing. Um, I mean, one perfect example is China. It's not really an issue to get in there, but getting a bike in there, uh, you have a lot more fees and uh, have to hire some sort of guide, I guess. And that kind of just immediately turned me off to it, not only for cost reasons, but also uh, I wasn't too interested in, you know, spending a month or two in China uh, with a guide following me around. I feel like the the purpose of traveling for me, I, I wouldn't really get to experience it like I want to if, if I feel like there's someone kind of watching me. So how much how much money did you save up for this? Um. I, my budget basically was a hundred bucks a day was my plan and I, I stuck to it. So I had saved up more than what I initially expected to spend because I was going to be gone, you know, about just about a year and now it's been way over that. So, uh, you did pretty good. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I saved up a little extra, um, uh, just kind of waiting on the right time to do it. And also I wanted to to have a good amount sitting aside in case, you know, there's catastrophic bike failure or some sort of uh, medical thing where, you know, I needed to drop a bunch of money on, on either one of those to somehow get back home. Um, so I ended up pretty much running through that. So, you know, basically 600 or so days on the road at about a hundred bucks a day. Uh, pretty pricey, but very, very worth it. I have no regrets. 
you ba- did you basically plan out the end of it so when you ran out of money you you rolled right back into denver on that last uh last dollar uh, <laughs> not quite i'm i'm a little too uh nervous financially to go that far but um I'm I'm definitely not spending tons of money right now. <laughs> so I have been sleeping on couches of friends' places, and I'm staying at my parents' right now. So uh, uh, yeah, the last month has been uh, definitely trying to uh, trying to live fairly cheap. So you mentioned your your motorcycle a couple of times. You want to talk about uh, what what bike you chose to take and 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 kind of the thought process going into that. Yeah, I, I bought a um, BMW 800 GS for it, and so I had I had looked over the years, knowing that the trip was going to be done someday, or you know it was likely going to be done. Um, I was always kind of looking at possibilities, and I had various bikes throughout that time. Never a, a big adventure bike, enduro bike, whatever, uh, whatever you want to call it, I guess. I'd say the closest I ever had was a DRZ 400 uh, Suzuki. And so in in thinking about the trip in the past, I kind of had in mind something in this size range, maybe in the 650 to, to 800 size range, I guess. Um, the 1200 GS, you know, some of the really, really big bikes seemed like a little bit of overkill, I thought. Um, so as I got closer to the trip and actually started looking, I mean, the, I guess it was kind of the, the same stuff. Everyone probably would have checked out some KTMs, uh, BMW 650 and 800, uh, KLR 650, the typical run of, you know, what, what everyone seems to be riding uh, for the, for that kind of trip or typically what people are riding, I guess. And uh, yeah, they, I, I talked to enough people that had good luck uh, reliability wise with BMWs, both 650s and 800s. And of course, a lot of people will say the exact opposite, but, um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I had a, enough advice that I, I guess it, it was good enough for me to pull the trigger on it. And I've got no regrets, you know, as far as putting 50 plus thousand miles on it, yeah. I have no real issues with it. So yeah, the 800 has been good and size wise, it was, it was good. There's definitely times where uh, a smaller bike would have been better, but um, as far as being as not being big enough, other than riding two up for a very short time, that was the only time that I could have used the extra size and the extra power. I'd say. So I I used to have a KLR 650, and the the thing that I immediately thought of when I saw you were you were riding the 800 GS was the chain, and I was wondering how. I mean the did having a chain and having to oil that present any problems or, I mean, is there any issues with that? Um, I mean, it convenience wise shaft drive would be better. I would say for sure. Um, I guess the, the one advantage I could say to a chain is if something does go wrong, you could always get by with yeah. a, you know, roadside repair. Or it's more likely that you could find a replacement chain or sprockets. Um, but, you know, ideally a shaft drive wouldn't go on you in the middle of nowhere either. Theoretically. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it it just became kind of normal. And I'm, I'm admittedly not the most anal person about it. I probably could have been better about, uh, about chain maintenance. But it did all right. You know, just 
sometimes after a long day, you know, if you, rather than sitting down and having a beer, you sit in the parking lot of a hostel or outside at a campsite and have your beer while you're cleaning your chain. It's not too bad. <laughs> so how'd you, how'd you deal with, uh, deal with other maintenance on the bike along the way? Um, I had plotted out a fair amount of BMW dealerships, which for the most part, they aren't too hard to find. I mean, if, if you really had an emergency and we're in the middle of nowhere, say it's a lot of parts of Southeast Asia or India, of course, it's going to be an issue. But if it's routine stuff, it really wasn't hard to plan out having a place that I could stop. Um, so it was nice to know that there were shops available. Um, I, I did a lot of the, you know, the really basic stuff, oil changes, chains, tires, things like that I could do on my own. Um, but it was nice to get it in, I don't know, three, four times maybe into uh, an actual dealership where you know, you could have an actual mechanic give it the once over and kind of make sure everything was good because I, I have no formal training or anything like that in, in working on bikes. So uh, the, the basics are kind of what I was limited to. And I, I guess I would feel comfortable if I really had to digging deeper than that. But it was nice to be able to have someone that really knew what they were doing yeah. take a look at it. Okay, so one more logistics question. You, you obviously made a lot of trips across water. Uh, how'd you deal with that? I mean, how'd you, did you ship the bike? Did you, did you fly at air cargo? Um, I, I had seven times that I needed to pack it up and, and ship it. Uh, three were by air and four by boat. So the, the first three were all by air, which, you know, obviously it's going to be more expensive, but also way faster. Um, so that was good for the for the convenience of it um the one long shipment that i had that went by boat was coming from new zealand back to uh back to north america i shipped into vancouver which it took five weeks but it wasn't so bad just because i flew home and hung out with family and and that in the the time that it took for it to show up whereas when you're out on the road if you got to sit in the hotel or, you know, even like a, a cheap, cheap place still, if you got to sit there for a month, that's going to add up of kind of wasted time and money. So that's where it was nice to, uh, to go by plane. And as far as actually preparing it, it, it varied from, from shipping agent to agent, as far as, um, if you could turn up and they had a, a crate ready to load your bike in. And you just basically had to bring it in with minimal fuel and disconnect the battery and it was good to go. Um, or uh, if they were charging by weight or volume, you'd want to get the size of it down. So you would have a custom crate built and take the front wheel off, take the windshield off, um, pull off the handlebars and turn them just so you can get it as narrow as possible uh, and pack it into as small a crate as you can get. Uh, so that it still isn't terrible, you know, it's a couple hours work on either end of disassembling and reassembling, but save you a few hundred bucks easily. So uh, it's, it's well worth it when you have that option. Uh, and I'd say the easiest one, uh, maybe logistically, but not mentally was uh, a vegetable boat that a buddy and I loaded our bikes onto from uh, Malaysia to Indonesia. And 
so that one they just took them on with a crane and set them kind of in the living quarters area of the boat where it was all covered up so there was really no work to do there but the the terrifying part of it was watching your bike hoisted into the air <laughs> over the water with like I don't know if they look like they're about 50 year old slings that the bike is strapped to the crane with so this is a pretty nervous 30 seconds until your bike got down on the deck. Yeah, I bet. So it, I'm guessing this this answer probably has no answer, but I'm, I'm curious how much, I mean, was there an average number of miles you wanted to ride every day or you just kind of go till you got tired? How'd you, how'd you do, do on a day-to-day basis? Um, it varied a lot. Um, I, first it depended on where I was, road conditions and everything, you know, a 500 mile day in the States is, it's, getting long but it's definitely doable whereas you know sometimes a 200 mile day in india or indonesia or somewhere a little more remote some of the third world places places was exhausting so uh it, it definitely depended on where you were and also just what there was to do along the way there were some days where 100 miles was all i had to go to get to the next destination that i wanted to spend a couple days um, so yeah, it, it definitely depended, but, um, I'd say even in, uh, short of the roads being terrible, if I had multiple days to get somewhere four or 500 miles, probably, um, occasional longer days, but, uh, yeah, that was a, a decent amount. What was the, what do you say the most interesting place you went to was? Indonesia was really, really great. Uh, overall, it, it might be that it was one of the places that I spent the most time. I was there about two months all in all. So part of it's probably that I really felt like I got to experience a lot of it, but it was very, very different from the U.S., which is basically where I've spent my entire life. So uh, it was it was cool to see, and it's cool to see a place where there isn't any escape from from that culture into a, a western style culture i guess is the best way to put it um so you you were really really immersed in a completely different culture whereas some countries you could be but then you could also escape and find a starbucks or subway or you know anything that just felt normal um so yeah i'd, I'd have to say indonesia was probably my top place Okay, so I got to ask you about fixing your starter with a paperclip. <laughs> yeah, that was that was in Malaysia, um, and I was shocked to find out how easy this was. But um, I went to start my bike, and, and in hindsight, it had happened a few days before that. Uh, I was leaving uh, Kuala Lumpur and went out to start my bike, and I hit the starter button a couple times, and it didn't do anything, and then you know, third, fourth time, whatever it was, it just fired right up. So I, I guess I just thought nothing of it until maybe about three or four days later, and I was going to go out for a little ride for the day uh, and just kind of through the mountains where I was staying, and my bike didn't start. So I was with a buddy at the time, so uh, his bike fired right up, no problem. So uh, we were staying near a hill, so he just pushed me around and I start going down the hill and uh, tried to get it running that way and took three or four tries at it and it would never start. And I mean, I could hear everything going. The engine was turning over. 
but nothing would fire up. And so he left for the day and I hung out and spent the morning fixing my bike. And I, I feel like it was one of those things where if it were happening here, I would have gotten frustrated and just brought it into a shop somewhere. But out there, there was no one to help me fix it. So I just started putzing around and pulled the switch off of the handlebar. And it turned out that that switch had failed. And the reason I couldn't even like push start the bike or bump start it was uh, that it failed with the kill switch on, basically. And so I pulled it off and I just took a little paper clip and started touching all of the leads on the plug together. And eventually <laughs> one of them came, uh, like the dash lit up as though the the uh, bike was ready to start. And then I started poking around some more and found one that actually ran the starter. So um, with one paperclip broken half, I was able to use one half to kill or disengage the kill switch and the other one to fire up the starter. So I got by on that for... I don't know, three, four days until I got somewhere where I could get it properly fixed. Nice. You want, so. you want to talk about uh, your experience with getting fuel? Uh, I mean, what did you find? Did you, were you able to find good quality fuel? I'm guessing that 800 GS takes, needs premium gas in it. Yeah. Um, surprisingly, it wasn't too bad. There were definitely issues. Um, so I guess all through Europe, I never had any problems. Uh, India, I didn't. Nepal was the first place that I bought fuel out of a like a water bottle or a old Pepsi bottle or whiskey bottle, something like that, which through Southeast Asia became a bit more normal. Um, but so that was kind of nerve wracking. But that fuel worked perfectly fine. Um, I, so I never had issues with it being dirty or you know having anything clog up the filter or the injectors. Uh, the the only problem would be low octane fuel or a uh, high amount of ethanol, which in Thailand, a lot of places sold, they called it either gasohol for, um, I don't know what percentage of ethanol it was, but high, or pure uh, gasoline was um, called benzene, they, was their name for it, which is a common name all over actually. So... Basically, I just had to find the gas station that sold benzene, not gasohol, which there's enough stations around. It wasn't hard to do once I figured it out. Um, but then in Indonesia, they had some really low octane fuel very often, which I had had my bike adjusted right before I left, which definitely helped um, at the, the shop where I bought it. I guess it would retard the spark timing i think is all that they said it did uh, but it allowed you to run down to 87 versus 91. so that i would recommend for sure because a lot of places i could only get 87 which with the bike retuned that way it worked out perfectly fine uh, but in indonesia their standard fuel was something like 82 or 83 i think so well below that um, and you could get premium on occasion, which their premium was 87, and that would work perfectly fine. But the low octane stuff, if I had to run it, I just had to go easy on the throttle and it, it would work out okay. But as soon as you would really get into it, you could notice some issues. So uh, yeah, and, and there it was, you know, you might have hundreds of miles between stations that had premium. So you definitely were 
we're stuck with running the low octane stuff at times. How was uh, how was going through borders and uh, and specifically uh, what did you get for your two dollar bribe? <laughs> the the two dollar bribe I paid that was the only bribe I paid um, after I don't know maybe twenty border crossings or something like that. So I figure that's not too bad. But it was to get out of Laos. They wouldn't stamp my passport unless I gave the guy two dollars. I, I tried to ask him for a receipt, and <laughs> he kept hassling me and everything. And there was no one in line behind me. It was early in the morning, and there's no one around. So I think he knew that there's no one else waiting, so he could just keep me there all day. So <laughs> he didn't let up, and I finally decided $2 wasn't so bad. Um, but overall, border crossings were pretty casual. Um, if anything, the biggest frustration... And, you know, it wasn't even terribly frustrating. It's totally understandable, actually, that was that um, I always had to go find a customs agent that could stamp my bike out of the current country and then into the next one. So I had uh, this document called a carne, which it basically works like a passport for your bike. They stamp it in and they stamp it out just to make sure that you don't come in and sell it and um, bypass some of their sales taxes or import taxes. So since it's a pretty rare thing to do for the average person crossing the border, sometimes it was hard to find which guy you had to go to to get either stamped out or stamped in on the carne. Um, but you know, no one was ever uh, rude about it or anything. It was just that sometimes they didn't know what you're talking about, especially with language barrier and everything. I was gonna say that was um, my next question was any issues with with language barrier? Uh, it was never terrible. Um, I mean, people speak English all over the place. You know, for, for the most part, if someone's going to speak a second language, it seems like English is it, especially through Southeast Asia. It was, it was fairly common. Um, and oftentimes, if you were trying to, to deal with someone who didn't speak English at all, I had some occasions where maybe their neighbor or someone like in the shop just next door to them, knew English, so they would call them over and they could come translate for you for a few minutes. Um, or just with a basic, them having a basic understanding of English and me maybe knowing just a handful of words in whatever country I was in, and then a bunch of hands, hand gestures, you can usually get by pretty well. Uh, so yeah, there, there were never any huge... Uh, huge frustrating moments or anything. It, it all went pretty good. And people are understanding that, you know, if they don't know English and you don't know their language, it's wasn't ever a, a big hassle. Did you, was there any, any countries that you didn't go to that you really regretted not going to? Um, one that I would have liked to go to. Well, yeah, yeah, a few. So, so starting out, I would say, Romania, I would have loved to get to, but by the time I was in that area of Europe, it was getting late enough in the year that it was really cold. So I guess I don't regret going too much because it would have been freezing, but I would have loved to have gotten there. You know, had I been about a month early, I think I could have swung through there. Um, I also just barely missed Myanmar. So I had to fly my bike from, uh, from Nepal to Thailand, um, because getting through Myanmar with a bike had been an issue until very recently. 
So I flew over it, unfortunately. And about three months later, some groups started traveling overland from India through Myanmar and into Thailand. And I know a couple of people now that have gone the opposite direction. Um, people who I met later on on the road that have now passed through Myanmar. So that one, you know, it's kind of a shame that I didn't get to do it. But time wise, I would have kind of just had to sit around and wait for a while because they literally just a year ago opened up that borders, the, the borders between uh, both India and Thailand for overland travel. So, so if you had it to do over again, would you, if you, knowing what you, what you know now, would you do it again? Uh, the, the whole thing or the whole thing. Yeah. The, yeah. Oh, I mean, as far as having any regrets or anything, no, I, um, there were, there would be changes I would make, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I would do the exact same thing over again if, if I had the opportunity. What's, what's one thing you'd do differently? Um, I, I think having the opportunity to go through some of, some of the places I had to avoid, like something like Romania, um, Myanmar obviously was kind of out of my control, but if I could have maybe timed the weather a little bit better, maybe even just have gotten to Europe a month or two earlier, um, just to have a little more time to explore Eastern Europe, I would have done. Uh, another option actually, as far as a place that I could possibly regret missing, which people might not understand my thought on this, but, um, I also flew over Iran and Pakistan from, uh, from Turkey into India. And most people immediately think like, oh, that's really wise safety wise and everything, uh, which, you know, arguably could be right. But mostly the reason I did it was just logistically having an American passport um, would be a hassle getting through Iran. Uh, anyone I've talked to who's been there said it, there's no safety issue with it. But um, that that could possibly be something that I would change as well. Or maybe if I was in the area ever on a future trip, try and get in through a little bit more of the Middle East. That's actually interesting. You mentioned Iran and uh and Pakistan, we just talked with a guy named Moeen Khan a couple episodes ago who um, was from Pakistan and going to school in San Francisco and, and decided to ride home uh, to Lahore, Pakistan, basically to spread the message that Pakistan is not full of terrorists. We're normal people and it's safe. And yeah, <laughs> it's interesting that you had that same uh, same same uh, same thought there. Yeah, I, I met a bunch of people that that went through there and uh, other people I met on the road. And none of them were American, so they all had an easier time getting through Iran. That was the the one thing that all of them shared that I couldn't. Uh, and, you know, it, it was kind of a shame to hear how great it was. And then or a shame for me being that I had to miss it because it really sounded like an interesting part of the world to go see. Yeah, he was a, he was an American citizen, but also a Pakistani citizen. So I think he was traveling under his Pakistani passport when he went through Iran. So uh, probably yeah. made it a little bit easier <laughs> for him. Make it, yeah, that's for sure. So, Pat, one thing we do on this podcast is we ask everyone the same series of 12 questions. Our LD dozen, you game for it? Yeah, absolutely. All right. One of these questions you've already kind of asked, answered, but uh, we'll go through it anyway. Uh, what was your first motorcycle and why? 
Uh, first bike was a 1976 um, Honda CB750. And I, I basically picked it. It was, it was an affordable bike to get while I was still in college and seemed like something decent to start on and cheap enough that if I crashed it a little bit or tipped it over, it wouldn't be a problem, but still would last me for a little while, you know, size-wise and everything. All right, where'd you take your first overnight ride? Uh, I think like a proper camping overnight ride actually would have been the start of that three-month trip I took. I I honestly don't think that I ever went on like a weekend camping trip. I would go visit friends and stuff like that or go visit my brother for a weekend. But uh, yeah, so my first legit one was to start off a three-month trip. So I kind of just dove head first into it, I guess. Okay, so uh, question number three, what is your day job or what was your day job and what, what pays for your, uh, your writing habit? Uh, I was working as an engineer. I worked in the oil industry for about eight years before this. Um, and so that's over now. I'm actually going back to school um, starting in a week or so. So, um, yeah, we'll move on to something different in another year, I guess. Sounds good. What's your favorite non-motorcycling hobby? Uh, maybe running or mountain biking. What is your favorite road? Uh, there's a few good options. I would say um, around the U.S., I really like the, the Pacific Coast. Um, that was a really great stretch. But a couple that would stand out from this trip um in the north of thailand i think had some of the best roads as far as really good quality um you know asphalt roads that were beautiful condition really really nice twisty roads and there's no cops to be seen or if you occasionally see one i don't know when they pull you over but i pass some of them going plenty plenty quick and they never <laughs> had any issues so i'd say north of thailand was really really fun riding um, if anyone's planning a trip there at all, the non-province kind of in the um, this southeast of Chiang Mai, I guess, is the region that really, really stands out as being spectacular. All right. On the flip side of that, what is your least favorite road? Um, I-80 across Nebraska is pretty rough, <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> Last summer, I made a about a 400-mile right turn on uh, I-80 going across there because the wind was blowing so hard. <laughs> all right uh when you're planning your trip you do you use uh garmin base camp microsoft street, streets and trips paper maps combination of the, of those three um i i actually haven't used any of the mapping software um i would use i i guess part of my trip i was using paper maps um and i i would plan a little bit in advance with google maps if anything uh, and then some countries I downloaded like an offline GPS map just for my phone, uh, just so I could have something that didn't require any sort of, uh, of cell phone connection or any of that. So you but, didn't but you didn't have a GPS on the bike? No, I didn't use any, any like dedicated GPS or dedicated software for it. Nice. All right. So if you get a new motorcycle tomorrow, what's the first accessory or farkle you're going to put on it? Uh, probably some sort of engine guard, something so I can crash it and not feel too bad. <laughs> All 
All right, and uh, what's your current bike? Is it still the the 800 GS? Yeah, yeah, that's the only bike I got right now. So we'll we'll see how long that lasts. But I don't think I'll trade it in. Maybe I'll just add another one. So uh, you ever done any uh, like long distance motorcycle rallies or anything like that? Um, no. All the long trips and everything I've done have been solo. I guess I've I've never done any of like the big iron butt rides or anything. But I think I might have to try some here in the next couple of years. All right. So, what's the what's your favorite or most interesting place you visited? Uh, one the most interesting single place on on this trip was and and ever I guess was Varanasi in India. Um, culturally, was really interesting. Riding wise, was terrible. <laughs> just due to traffic congestion tiny roads animals everywhere um but as far as a as a fascinating cultural experience that's unlike anywhere else that i ever went what was it like i mean what what, what was fascinating about it uh it, it's a really holy city um so it, i mean it was the last place i stopped in india and i thought by then you know i'd been in india about six weeks i thought i had it that whole area kind of figured out and when i got into varanasi it just blew me away again um but so it's a very holy city right on the ganges river so loads and loads of people are going there uh, making pilgrimages um bathing in the river there's cremations on the river bank um just the fact that everything is out in the open uh was was really wild and then the city itself, all the streets are these little alleyways. I, to get to the little guest house that I was staying, uh, just an example of how terrible some of the, the riding conditions were. Um, I first had to unload my bike because the panniers were too wide to fit down this one alleyway. Once I did that and went a little further, the handlebars were too wide to even get down the alleyway. So I had to get a couple guys staying at the hotel to come help me drag the bike through with the bars turned all the way to one side. Um, so yeah, everything about it was so, so foreign. It was really, really interesting. All right. So last, last question of the LD dozen, how do you pass the time on a long ride? You listen to music, audiobooks, you just watch the flowers. Um, I used to not listen to anything, but, um, uh, I've gotten into podcasts. I would say the last half of this trip, uh, and and I'll stick to that for sure. Music, I I've never really liked to listen to. I feel like it it'll either make me kind of dilly dally along at a really slow pace, or it'll get me too excited <laughs> and get me you know into a corner way too fast or something. Um, so yeah, just a, a decent podcast that doesn't require too much paying attention to. So okay, so I'm not fishing for a uh, for you to say Long Riders Radio here, but what do you what what podcast you listen to? Uh Freakonomics, uh, Planet Money, a bunch of comedy podcasts, things like that where, you know, if, if you start thinking about something, you can kind of easily drown it out with your with your thoughts. So, uh, yeah, so I kind of bounce back and forth, even with the with the headphones in and the podcast playing, I can, you know, think about whatever I need to or want to. 
Well, I definitely I listened to Freakonomics too, and this that this this whole idea for the the same questions to ask everyone came directly from their free uh, frequently asked questions. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I, I can't take any credit for this. So. <laughs> well, anyway, you've you've uh, you've completed the LD dozen. Uh, anything All else right. you want to you want to mention before we let you go? Uh, I I guess all I could say is after having done a trip like this, if if people are interested in it, don't be too intimidated by it because you don't need to do an awful lot of pre-planning, I found out. You know, it's really possible to do a lot on the road. Um, And most importantly, I, I mean, it's a fascinating way to travel, I think, compared to, you know, your typical backpacking or, you know, traveling by train or bus or things like that, I feel like it really, really opened the doors to a lot of great experiences. So um, I'd really, really recommend it to people that are interested in doing it. Well, if you're interested in learning more about, uh, about Pat's trip, yeah, you could find him on the, on the net at apatonamotorcycle.com. I'll also post links to his uh, Reddit AMA, uh, which has a lot of, uh, a lot of questions that you'll, that I, I lifted from there to, to ask him on here, but it also has a lot of other stuff on it. And then uh, I'll also po- post links to um, his Facebook page, which is a pad on a motorcycle and uh, also to his uh, 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 a, a picture of the map that he took and, or the, the map, uh, the route that he took and uh, a couple uh, some pictures. So uh, Pat, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. And I really yeah, appreciate yeah, thanks it. Thanks for having me, Justin. Right. And to, to anyone out there, planning a trip if uh if you've got any questions really feel free to to get a hold of me through my blog or facebook or whatever any of those links that that are put up online um really shoot me an email with any questions you got i'd be happy to help uh get you started planning a trip great well pat thank you very much and uh enjoy the next ride all right thanks justin all right thanks again to pat uh i was really looking forward to that interview and uh he did not disappoint uh one of my dreams to just uh pack up everything and and take the bike around the world but probably not going to happen for at least another uh 12 years or so for me well i think that'll do it for this show as always we need to thank this program's founder mr michael cox you know some of you know that mike took a trip to new york and as you can kind of guess new york's a long way from more oklahoma i asked him about what the trip was like and he said everything about it was so so foreign it was really really interesting see you next time on long riders radio ride safe everyone